Hi there, I'm Sheena and this is the Lesbian Review Podcast. This podcast is a spin-off of the popular review site thelesbianreview.com where we review the best books with leading lesbians, bi or queer women. This season is focusing on getting hot and heavy by talking about sex in lesfic. We will be covering a range of topics and chatting to author guests. I'm Sheena, my pronouns are she, her. I'm joined by Anne Shade today, author of Femme Tales, a modern day fairy tale trilogy. And thank you for joining me today. Hi, my name is Anne Shade. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to be here. So how did you come up with the idea for Femme Tales? I've always loved fairy tales. That's always been my special little thing. I thought it would be a good idea to put a little twist on it, make it a modern day fairy tale with special characters that you wouldn't normally see, all African-American characters, all female characters, all lesbian characters, so. I love that. Thank you. We, we chatted previously and you, were, you mentioned that there were a lot of retellings of fairy tales, but you just didn't see them the way you wanted to see them. So you went and you took it and you created this trilogy. So the first fairy tale is Beauty and the Beast. The second one is Sleeping Beauty, and then you round up the trilogy with Cinderella. Yes. So let's talk about that briefly. Like, why those three fairy tales of all of them? All three are my favorites, and all three, I think, were ready for a nice twist to them. The only one that has been pretty much saturated the market has been Cinderella. There's been so many versions of that, modern remakes of the historical, of the original and that was the most difficult because I wanted to make sure that Cinderella was not the weak, you know, oh, stepmother is being so mean to me character. I wanted her to be a strong woman, but what needed to be, she needed to be saved from was lack of love in her life. And she needed that someone to really just love her for her. And that was the most difficult one of the three. The other two were pretty easy. Beast was perfect for the music industry, you know, Beast was a rapper. She was, you know, hard, raised in the ghetto and, and brought up in a very rough life. And that would make anyone a beast if they internalized all that, which is what she did. And then with Sleeping Beauty, which was a little difficult as well, but I wanted to make sure that because in the original Sleeping Beauty, she didn't know Prince Charming before he kissed her and all of a sudden she's awake and in love. I wanted them to have that connection first, which is why they met before the so-called kiss awakening kiss right she's that's actually the sleeping beauty was actually an interesting story so the premise is she was attacked in the park and then she ends up in hospital and nobody knows who she is she's unconscious right i thought that was a great twist on it because it was so it was just like a really clever idea it's something that could absolutely happen i love that you you really like took that into the modern space well that was the importance of why I wrote the stories the way I did. I wanted them to be realistic. Fairy tales can be very, and that's what they're supposed to be, you know, very dreamlike and, you know, oh, but I wanted everyone to be able to see that they could have their own real life fairy tales. It is possible to meet someone and have an instant connection and that so-called love at first sight, or at least that that feeling at first sight. It is possible to have soulmates, whether they're best friends, a relative, or a lover. It's all possible. So I wanted to make sure that those were represented in those stories in a light that made you read it and go, that could be me. That could actually happen to me. I love that. That's such a cool idea. So this is the sex 
season of the Lesbian Review podcast. So let's talk about how you approached your sex scenes. You've got three very different stories in this book. How do you keep each one fresh and and linked to the characters? Like, what was your thought process around writing sex? Each each time I do a sex scene for different stories, it depends on the character. With Beauty and the Beast, because Beast is so raw, the the passion in it had to be a raw passion, which is why the sex scene happens immediately. Because that's just that's that's her. That's that's what drives her. In Awaken, you can't have the sex right away because obviously she's in a coma. <laughs> Which, funny enough, if you read the original Grimm's fairy tales of Sleeping Beauty, she wasn't awakened with a kiss. That's all I'm going to say. I won't go any further than that. But if you read Grimm's fairy tales, it wasn't very pleasant. But I had to make sure that when it finally did happen, it was sweet it was wonderful. It was soft. It was a beautiful moment because it was their moment to really connect. Unlike that first, like first meeting, eye contact conversation, you know, I feel something. And then that moment had to be, okay, this is actually what I'm really feeling. With Stiletto, which is the Cinderella story, it was kind of a combination of both. It had to be sexy because the characters were sexy. It had to be something soft and beautiful as well but it was more passion than anything each scene was actually quite different like you didn't take okay first she does this then she does that then she does this kind of formula each one was very different in how it all happened yes but what i did notice that there was a power play in each of the sex scenes and that happened in all three of them is that a dynamic you enjoy writing about Yes, and I like that, especially with Beast, because she's always in so con- so much control that she didn't want to lose control, but that power play happened where Belinda or Beauty is pretty much in control now. So that loss of control is what kind of leads her to recognize that she doesn't have to be a beast. But I, I like that power play. I like taking someone who's always, you know, for example, there's always the stud who's always in control. But sometimes the femme is in control. You never know. You don't know what goes on in their head, how much passion they have. And especially with Belinda, Belinda, you would, you know, she was a sexy woman. But for her to be so passionate and just as raw and just as passionate as Beast, people wouldn't expect it. And I like just going for the unexpected. Just don't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. So when you were thinking about the sex scenes and sort of planning them out, did you do anything specific or think about it in a specific way to keep them separate and individual and unique to each story? Yes, it's the characters. So the characters are basically, they they tell me what they want. They drive the scene. So when I do the sex scenes, I'm not doing them as if I'm thinking, how would I be having sex in this scene with either of these people? It's how are these two people connecting and how are their how is their passion happening with each other so because all six characters are all different people and all three couples are different types of couples i was able to kind of keep it fresh and new because each character we we didn't know them before so we don't know what their passion is going to be like so that's how you keep it fresh is because you're giving a reader somebody new to get to know and i think that that made it a much more genuine read because I find in lesbian particularly, there are kind of very common things that happen in lesbian sex scenes, you know, and I feel like that template needs to be burnt and we need to 
to discover sex through the character's eyes as if this is the first time it's happening for them. It's something I've had to kind of deal with in Masquerade, the next book coming out, because there's quite a bit of sex within that book. I had to try and figure out, because it's a love triangle, how to keep it fresh and how to not kind of be repetitive. And especially if she's with one person, it can't be the same as when she's with this other person, because that's why there's a triangle, because it's different. So it's to try and keep it fresh. It, it was, I think I wrote those sex scenes about three or four times before I finally got to her. Okay, I'm good with it here. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will definitely come back to Masquerade in a minute. All three of these stories in Femme Tales, I noticed it's very interwoven in terms of love and sex. There's an immediate attraction, a physical attraction between them, but there's also something deeper. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you were thinking about love and sex while you were creating these stories. Love and sex to me are connected. When it comes to romances, I think you you can have a romance without sex because it's romance. But with me and my stories, I think sex is a big part of it because it strengthens the connection between the couples. So with Beast, it starts out sex, but then the romance builds and it, it makes it, it, it gives it life. You know, it brings it even more. So when they finally do come together and then that romance finally hits, the sex becomes even more passionate and more, but because there's more loving to it. In Awaken, it starts with the love. It starts with the emotions and the feelings because they're talking, they're connecting at first. And then while she's in the coma and and Chase is talking to Serena, she's building a connection with her in that way. And then also learning more about her from her family. Serena is also kind of, because she's hearing this, she's hearing the talking, she's hearing the love in in Chase's voice she's hearing the love in her words and how she's dealing with her and touching just simple things touch or a kiss on the head it's it's that love building so then the sex was kind of the culmination of the love in stiletto it's the combination of both where they meet they have that eye contact at first there's that connection and then they meet again and it's like okay now they're building the rapport so first there's the, the eye contact and the physical connection there and then there's the rapport, which is the emotional connection they're building. And then their whole day, to, their whole night together, that date, I won't go into details because you have to read the book, but the date that they have kind of builds an even bigger connection because of what happens on that date. And then it ends with the passion. Once again, that the love leads to the passion and the passion makes the love more intense. Once again, perfectly illustrating how each of these stories is so very different from the next. So it's worth reading all three of them. What kind of research did you have to do before you actually wrote this book? I actually went back to the Grimm fairy tale version and read all three Grimm fairy tale versions. Hence why they're called Grimm, because they're not so very... <laughs> I don't know how those were called fairy tales. They are very dark. So I, I went back to that version because I wanted to see how it was originally done. Even and, and translated, because I think the Beauty and the Beast one was was in French originally. So I, I tried to, you know, find the different translations of them, tried to find where I could pick up from the original versions and not the Disney versions to create my story and make it more, because those are actually more human as well than the Disney stories. The Disney stories are more fantasy. So that was my main research was, was just doing that. And then also things like the music industry. Uh, I have 
friends that are in the music industry. So, you know, talking to them, the restaurant industry for Chase's story, doing research on coma patients and how doctors say talking to them helps and that they can hear. So there was the medical research. So I, there was a little bit of, for each story, just a little bit of research for each one. And then, of course, I, I wish I could have gone to Turks and Caicos <laughs> for the last story for Stiletto, but doing research there as well. Fantastic. Let's talk about your characters being, all of them being black characters. This was important to you, to create a black lesbian fairy tale book. Yes. All my characters, even since before I was writing Lesfic, were African-American characters. So when I was doing romance in the the het genre, they were all African-American characters. That's my, I won't say my niche or my thing, but because I'm obviously African-American, I thought it was important that I represented characters that not only represented me, but my community, and to represent them in a positive light, and to make sure that the reader was able to see themselves in the story and see a happy ending mm. and not a you know a drug-filled shootout or death scene or someone going to jail or you know so african-american romantic genre is not as out there as i thought it was <laughs> so i wanted to make sure that because i'm rep- i'm helping to represent that i represented in a positive light so it was important for me to have african-american characters because i'm an african-american woman so what better way to represent myself than that? Absolutely. I think representation is key to acceptance and making the world a better place. It's actually why I started TLR is I wanted to to give lesbians a safe space where they could find people that look like them, that, you know, are there. So I'm excited to see the expanding lesbic world to include more authors of color writing own voice stories. And that's that's important, and it's also important to my publisher, Bowstroke Books. I'm going to be working on a project for our voices. There are going to be anthologies written by Black, Indigenous, people of color, and there's short stories, and I'm going to be helping to choose those short stories and to help build the, the anthologies as we go along. I'll also be adding my own short stories within those as well. So it's an exciting project. I think it's timely. I think it's about time. I, I can see it growing more from there i think anthologies is a great way for new authors to start the writing process because you you have a small commitment but you get relatively large exposure because you're with a whole lot of other authors and stuff i think it's a great project yeah i worked on one anthology several years ago it was my first young adult lesbic romance and it's i it was an interesting project because i had never written in an anthology before but it was the first time i'd ever i'd ever been published in something it, it was supposed to be a short story, but turned into a novella. Because so, <laughs> I don't know how to condense. Um, <laughs> but it's it was really interesting. I really loved it. And I have to say it's one of my favorite stories um, to have written. Thank you for spending your time with TLR. We rely on the support of listeners, patrons, and advertisers. So please click on our links to buy. Check out the show notes to find our Patreon link and support our advertisers. You are listening to the Lesbian Review Podcast. We bring you the best lesbian books, movies, and music reviews on thelesbianreview.com. What has the response been to Femtales? 
It's been good. I hate to say I'm surprised because I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. <laughs> it's it's grown quickly. That's what I'm surprised about. I, you know, figured it would get out there, word would get out there. Unfortunately, the week it was released was when pandemic hell took over. And I was supposed to have my book release party on the 13th and literally had to cancel that day because that's when New Jersey decided we're shutting down. New York and New Jersey. So I was thinking this isn't going to, it's going to be a slow rise. Nothing's going to happen. But then I was started getting email and feedback and um, I started seeing reviews for it already. And then I started going on to different virtual events, which kind of helped build it as well. And word started spreading. So I was like, wow, this is really happening. <laughs> I think that goes to show though that people are hungry for new and interesting characters and interesting ways of doing things and that are not the cookie cuts of traditional lesbic stuff. Yes, yes. And I'm, and, and I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm also hoping it's also because a lot of people commented that they were happy to see African-American characters or lesbian characters in a positive light and in stories mm -hmm. that were beautiful and that were sweet and romantic and, you know, had the passion as well. So I think that was a, also a major thing was they were hungry for, at least the African-American lesbian readers were hungry for something like that. I don't think it's it's limited to African-American readers, honestly. I think there definitely is a market for it because you want to see yourself represented. But just from a personal perspective, I'm as white as they come, I could glow in the dark. I want to see interesting new perspectives and voices. I do. And I know that a lot of my team are exactly the same. Okay, let's talk about your upcoming novel. You're busy with... Uh, the edits now for Masquerade. Yes, Masquerade. So I have a cover sample. I'm sure people have seen it, but Masquerade. <laughs> Don't know if anyone's going to see that. I saw that when I was Googling you and I love it and I'm very excited about it. So tell us about what it, what's, what it is. Masquerade is a historical romance that takes place in New York City during the Harlem Renaissance. Um, it's during a time where pretty much the Roaring Twenties. So it's during a time where black culture, black art, black literature was really starting to make a growth as well as black political. So it's, we were really, it was a moment of when we were really discovering ourselves and knowing ourselves and being proud of that and speaking on it and showing it. Um, but it was also a time where, at least in New York, where Harlem became kind of like the, the decadent hedonism of the state where white, black, brown, poor, rich, they all came together in Harlem as one group and they they partied together, they drank together, they danced together and there are gay masquerade balls, drag masquerade balls that were like really the thing. Having a gay best friend was being in fashion. So although it was illegal to be gay, you could get arrested if you're caught being gay. If you're caught doing anything that people would think was being gay, then you would get arrested for that. But it was a fashionable thing to do, which kind of is a dichotomy of the other. I mean, how to be illegal and be fashionable at the same time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so the characters, uh, one character comes from New Orleans, escapes a family scandal. Um, she comes to Harlem to start a new life. Another character comes to Harlem to try and do something for her family to bring them up from the South, which is very, very violent still at that time. And they meet 
they fall in love, but then there's a third party. There's gangsters, there's clubs, and there's drag balls, and there's fantastic everything going on. <laughs> drag balls. Tell us about drag balls. What is that? So the drag balls back then were these large decadent balls where um, people wore gowns and tuxedos, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, um, or you dressed as your your own self, but you were there to drink wine, champagne, to party and rub shoulders with very dramatic um, uh, drag queens and and the the drag kings that were very much you know in style at that time as well. Um, so it's they were very big at that time. They were there was an annual one that would happen that was like they'd send out advertisements for it. There would be invitations. There would be thousands of people there and it would be have to be at the grand ballroom. So it was a huge event, huge event. That sounds amazing. So you must have done a lot of research for this. Yes, I uh, did uh, quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm a huge African-American history buff. So um, I Googled, I, you know, bought books. Uh, I made sure, even with the one character who's a nurse, um, black nurses were not really looked at as being real nurses back then. They were given crappy jobs, but then Harlem Hospital started hiring all black nurses. They opened up and they started giving them real nursing jobs. They weren't just orderlies or sent to empty bedpans. They were given actual nursing jobs. So I had to do research on that, research on black nurses and how they came up, their education, things like that. Um, there's also the speakeasies, had to do issues on speakeasies and um, how that was handled, who owned them. The Cotton Club, for example, was a great club, but it was there were no blacks allowed. Um, only the dancers and entertainers are African-American. So, um, so it's a lot of research done to make sure that I got my information correct and readers are actually getting a little bit of an education um, that's fact and not just all fiction. Do you have a particular period in history that you love? Ironically, that time period between like the 1850s to the early 1900s, because in African-American history, that's when uh, slavery was still going on, unfortunately, but it was also when we became our strongest because the Underground Railroad grew then. People were trying to find their freedom. They were realizing that this is not the life that I have to be in. I can be free. I can be who I want to be. And then in the early 1900s is when we were able to grow as a people. Black towns were started going, going west. If you go west, there were several black towns that were started. There was actually an underground railroad in Texas going into Mexico. There was a black town founded in Mexico that people didn't know about. We were having newspapers. We were, our colleges were starting to open. Um, we, our growth at that time was so beautiful because we were supporting our community. And yes, we were segregated, but we were segregated in a way where we were proud of that because of how we were building our communities in that time. So that, that time was really, I love that time period. That is interesting. That is an interesting time period. I can see why it's of interest. Are you planning on setting a book at that in that period at some point? Um, I did in my head romances. Um, I may do that with this one. It's kind of difficult because lesbian romance, I don't think quite works for that time period, unless it's in that early 1900s time where we were, the, the freedom was happening and we were fine, you know, we were able to live our own lives. 
But because of all the difficult things that, after, and there were people that did do that. Um, there were couples that actually, you know, but the woman had to live as a man. You know, one had to live as a man and one was a woman. So it was that, that having to, you know, you were forced into being trans in order to be together because it was so to be, to be black was a crime as it is, but then to be gay and black, that was an even bigger crime. So you can get hung. You could get, you know, whipped. there are so many things that could have happened to you. And I don't think it's something I want to romanticize in that way for the lesbian community. For a het romance, it's a little easier. For a lesbic romance, it's not that easy. Just for the record, if you do write a book where a, a, one of the characters pretends to be a man, I'm all over that like <laughs> crazy. I love those tropes. <laughs> I love the historical tropes where women have to pretend to be men to just kind of like survive and then they fall in love with a woman and then there's this kind of moment of, oh no, do I tell her? Do I not tell her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dedication to Femtales is this. This book is dedicated to women who are not afraid to follow their hearts and love freely and open and to the women who are still finding their way. Is that dedication based on your own experiences or simply a statement of the stories that you told? It's based on my own experiences. I didn't come into or come out to myself until, I'll say, my 40s. I knew about myself, but there was a huge denial period where it was like, oh, you're just curious or you're just, you know, that whole excuse that people use, you know, I'm not that way. That's not me. So in six months worth of therapy, I realized that I can be myself. I can love who I love. And it it's not a crime. It's not anything bad. And whether I've accepted or not, it doesn't matter. It's whether I accept myself. So I know there are a lot of women out there that are like me, that are trying to battle with being, you know, a, a wife, being a mother, and then also trying to be themselves. And it kind of takes you into three different mindsets where you kind of feel like you have to be three different people and you don't have to be. And I wanted to dedicate that to, to those women to show them that you don't have to be what you are not. You don't have to, you don't have to be what everyone else wants you to be. Just be yourself. And it's like with Beast. Beast is herself. This is who she is. And she chose to be this, this is, she chose to be this person of who she is whether it was the, the gangster, the, the hood rat or whatever, she knew that there was still some good within her and she embraced that good. She may not have been the most pleasant personality to be around, but she knew that there was good within her because of, you know, the people she, that she surrounded herself with, with her sister, with Mama Ellis, you know, she, she, she knew who she was and she accepted that. And I think it's a, a lot about self-acceptance. Has writing Liz Fick helped you explore that side of yourself yes it gives me the freedom to express myself um in a way that i probably wouldn't be able to do you know in my normal day um it gives me the freedom to share stories and to give back to my community um whether they're lesbian trans bi whatever um the story is about them it's not just about some inanimate character um, I want each person to see themselves in the stories that I write. So that's why I try and write so many diverse characters. Even though they're all African-American, they're still diverse and within their personality. As you can see with Femtales, they're, 
so many their, their personalities are completely different so <laughs> there's not one of them that you can say wow they're just like the same person so I like to I try and express that through my writing good for you for being on your journey I mean it's so hard it's so hard coming out to yourself it's like the hardest thing is to come out to yourself it is I, I think it's more difficult than talking to family or talking to friends or coming out to anyone like that and you know I I embrace myself I'm a bi woman I embrace that you know I I've been a mother for 30 how old is my daughter 35 years <laughs> <laughs> 33 years um and I've also been a wife for 25 so it's that's a part of me but I mean I've I've loved varied people in my lifetime so it's not like I've I'm, I don't limit myself and I don't label myself and I don't like to and but sometimes you do and if I'm going to label myself that's that's my label I'm I'm Anne I'm bi and this is me absolutely and uh, one of the big things that I am heavily in favor of is not pushing somebody to a come out of the closet or to adopt your label people need to to find their own labels because it actually doesn't make any difference to anybody else what your label is but it makes a big difference to you you played football for the New York Sharks women's professional football team. So when I was looking you up, I discovered this and I thought that was the coolest thing. So let's talk about that. How did that happen? I was watching lingerie league one time and, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, not crazy about the lingerie part, but the fact that these women are actually out there playing football. I've wanted to play since I was five and my mom's a very prima donna prissy woman. And she was like, no, my daughter is not playing football. And I was overruled considering I had five sisters. <laughs> so it was like, no, you're you're not going to be the one that's going to go out there and do that. Looking up the teams, I just Googled women's football um, and the New York Sharks popped right up. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is different. This is full tackle. This is like real American football. And I said, I saw that they were having tryouts and my midlife crisis hit. And I was in about 42, I think. And I said, I'm going to go for football. <laughs> Everyone thought I was crazy. They weren't happy about it. I had no support whatsoever when I tried out. And tried out, um, surprisingly made the team and played for two years. By the end of the two years, I had a nice fan club. But unfortunately, because with the Mer women's American football at the time, you had to pay to play. So it cost you $1,000 a season pretty much to, to play. And if you didn't have a support system, if you didn't have sponsors, it was difficult to raise the money. And so that final season, I had pretty much gotten laid off for most of the season from my job and couldn't pay for the next season and couldn't get the sponsorship that I needed. So it was either, you know, try and, you know, keep a roof over my head or play football. So I had to make the smart choice. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I stayed with the team as there, you know, I assisted with games on game day. I was there for them. So I made sure that I was still once a shark, always a shark. So, yeah. That must have at least enriched your writing in terms of life experiences. It did, because <laughs> I'd, I'd say about 90% of the team were lesbian women. So it it was an experience because I had never, even though I had written my had self-published my first les fic by then i had never spent a long amount of time around a group of lesbian women so it was an experience because it was like oh, my people 
<laughs> so um, I was able, they were able to share their stories with me. They found out I was a writer. They were, I was able to share their stories with them. It, it was, you know, a very good experience. And it was also a good experience in self-acceptance and because they accepted me for me. Um, they didn't expect me to be anybody else. Um, as long as I protected the quarterback, I was good. Uh, <laughs> um, so put my body on the line quite often. <laughs> but um, it was a wonderful experience and it did enrich my writing and myself. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Um, they can find me on Twitter and Shade3. They can find me on Instagram and Shade Romance. They can find me on Facebook under and Shade Romance. Um, I don't have a website yet. And they can also find me on Bolstro Books. Okay. And go pick up your copy of Fame Tales today if you haven't yet. And you can read about The Beast and Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, but in a really cool modern setting with some steamy sex scenes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Anne. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been the Lesbian Review Podcast. Find more information on our guests in the show notes, as well as links to what we spoke about on this episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast and want to see us creating more awesome content, then consider becoming a patron. Not only does this mean that we can keep doing what we do, but you will get exclusive content that doesn't appear anywhere else. You can find out all about it on patreon.com slash thelesbianreview. The link is in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Bye.